I'm Jeff Gibson. And I'm Shanna Paxton. And we are the, the Movie, Movie Lovers. Lovers. Welcome. Hello. To the official podcast of the Gibson Review. In every episode, we express our joy and love of film by first talking about the week in review, what movies and TV shows we've been watching since the last episode, move on to the main event, which is a main topic of discussion or main review, and then finish up with film faves, our respective lists of our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic. In this episode, we will have a, a week in review, but our main event is going to be a review of Michael Showalter's The Eyes of Tammy Faye. And then our film phase will be our combined list of our 12 favorite entrepreneur movies. So we'll talk more a little bit about that. Before we dive in, I do want to do a little house cleaning here. First of all, I made a mistake that I could not edit around in the last episode when we were talking about uh, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, I accidentally called the main actor of the film Sam Liu. I don't know why I did that. Maybe it was the S and the M and my brain kind of just malfunctioned. But his name is Simu Liu. And so I apologize for the mistake there. Uh, also, our schedules will be a little bit wacky and so sometimes that'll mess with our recording schedule and over the next couple months and you'll probably have noticed as, as per like last episode sometimes the recording quality will be different it will never be unlistenable it'll never be that bad necessarily but you'll notice maybe sometimes throughout the episodes that the recording Quality might be different. I'm going to try, still try to make sure that no, no matter what, things are cons as consistent as possible. But I apologize ahead of time and and for last episode, let's say, if you notice any inconsistencies in how the audio sounds per se. But I guarantee every time it'll still be completely listenable, unlike some of our early days. So with that... Let's get into the week in review, starting with you, Shanna. You had something that you have been checking out that you wanted to talk about. Yes, I have been watching HBO, and on there I found this great show, Miracle Workers, with Daniel Radcliffe, Steve Buscemi, Karan Sony, as well as Geraldine Viswanathan. This is an anthology series. So I watched season one and started season two. And I was like, hey, what the heck just happened? So it looks like they're dealing with different themes each season. And a third season is apparently coming. And that's going to deal with a particular theme uh, in history of humanity as well. The first season is really great because the show is taking place in heaven where God is the ruler and there are many people helping the factory of earth run. And it's very interesting because you'll have different departments like the weather department, the dirt department, the miracle department. So prayers answered. And they can only do really small things in there unless they want to get a document signed by God, who is kind of checked out with Earth. He feels like this project is not what he wants to do with his life anymore. Mm. And he says he's going to destroy it in a week. And that's very scary. So two low-level 
miracle workers ask if they can make a deal and the deal is they're going to get two people to kiss and if they can do it before the time is up god will save the earth if they don't achieve this goal then the earth will be blown up by a meteor so very fun stuff lots of little things happening like what what is god like what is god a problem child like what what is happening and the performances are already sweet and i like the story i like the concept i am not a christian but i grew up in a in christian schools so i know the basics of the religion and i just find it really interesting there's a lot of other things that get dealt with, a lot of fun, and, uh, you know, it's worth watching. And then season two kind of goes into the medieval period. All these characters are in the medieval period, and it looks like season three, they're going to be on the Oregon Trail type setting. So are they completely different characters in each season? You said there was an it's anthology series. If, so nothing has been explained to me yet. But it looks like what happens is they're transported to a particular time to experience things. Hmm. That's what I'm getting from it. Something else could be revealed at the end. But basically, they become, you know, the same actors and actresses are there. The main characters are there, but they're just in a different situation. Oh, so maybe not so much an anthology series. Well, that's how IMDb describes it. Really? So, okay. And it's based on books by Simon Rich. Uh, what's in God's name? So, and how many seasons have you seen? I've seen one and a half. Okay, excellent. All right, so that is Miracle Workers, and where can people find it? On HBO. HBO Max. Yeah. Excellent. So you and I caught up with a couple 2021 movies that end up ended up going to Apple TV Plus because of the pandemic, as I understand it. The first one we're going to talk about is like, I feel like we're a month behind here. I think people were talking about it a month ago uh, all over the place. It's called CODA, which CODA stands for Child of Deaf Adults. And it's directed by Sean Heater. And it's, it's, it's about a, a child of a deaf adult. Ruby is the only hearing person in her deaf family. When the family's fishing business is threatened, Ruby finds herself torn between pursuing her love of music, because it turns out she's talented, and her fear of abandoning her parents, who kind of rely on her as the only hearing abled person in the family to communicate with uh, the community. It stars Amelia Jones, Marley Matlin, Daniel Durant, and Troy Kotzer, among a handful of others. Shanna, what were your thoughts on Coda? Did it seem like after watching it, was it kind of like a treacly, cheap, feel-good type movie? Or did it, uh, did it actually pull it off and work for you? I really love this. This is a story about a family and letting go of your child. She wants to go and live her dream. She wants to go to a particular university or college, whatever you call it. And... The mom doesn't want her to leave. What will they do without her? They are very reliant on her. And she feels all that responsibility and pressure to be there for them. But a child has to leave eventually regardless of how much you rely on them. And so I really loved how they worked with that. And of course, it's fun that 
you know, she's talented and she has a great voice and it makes it really interesting that it's something that her family can't necessarily do with her, mm-hmm. you know, and the mom mentions at the dinner table, don't listen to music. That's not something that we can all participate in. And instead they're helping the older brother select or deselect people on some sort of Tinder swipe left, swipe yeah. right thing. Cause they can do it as a family. <laughs> so right. I just thought that that was very interesting. Yeah. 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 The, it's interesting how sexually open the family is, as a matter of fact, and how they talk and stuff. Yeah. Uh, and and that, some of the entertainment comes from that as well. I thought this was a good film. I was a little bit surprised by it. There's little things that it, it does that impressed me. Like there is a scene when the parents come to listen to a or to see their daughter in a concert and it kind of it cuts to their perspective, and it it also before that, before even cutting to their perspective, you see how like they're completely unengaged because there's not even enough sound coming from the stage for them to feel. So they're just looking around at people's faces. They'll sign each to each other, t- talking about dinner later and all this sort of stuff, uh, which is interesting also in itself because. If a hearing able person is talking and like, oh, what are we going to have for dinner? <laughs> like, it's very distracting for everybody, right? Because you hear them, right? Mm-hmm. But we're, but the deaf can get away with doing that because it's a very inaudible. You know, ASL is inaudible, right? So it doesn't really bother those around them. So what I'm saying, little touches like these, actually, I thought added to the texture of the film and added uh, quite a bit to it. And so mostly I I pretty much enjoyed this film. I I, I didn't think it was a feel-good slog kind of thing where it it went for cheap emotions. No, I mean, this is all fairly realistic to, you know, what I had mentioned earlier. I cannot relate to being Coda, but I can relate to needing to leave and go to start the next chapter of my life away from my family and they got that just right there's a lot of crying that I do and it's probably because I can totally relate to it and I don't think that there's anything cheap about what the movie is doing I don't think there's any cheap tricks here yeah one of the things you just reminded me of that does really well is it it creates this rock and a hard place where there's so much responsibility on this teenager on this teenager's shoulders that if she tries to be a teenager just for one day, it could lead to the ruin of yeah. her family business, right? Yeah. And so it's a rock and a hard place, a totally unfair, very frustrating, but also sometimes you're like, well, she should she should be aware of her situation enough to know better or whatever. And you know, there's both sides. You could totally understand. So it plays that very well. Yeah. I would rate it an 8 out of 10. How about you? A 7 out of 10. Okay, yeah. that's fair. Yeah, so that's Coda on Apple TV+. Plus. We, we recommend checking that out. Next movie is How It Ends, also on Apple TV+. Plus. This is the next film, co-directed by Zoe Lister-Jones, Woohoo! who we're big fans of, big supporters of here. It's also co-directed by and co-written by Daryl Wayne. It is a feel-good 
apocalyptic comedy where Zoe Lister-Jones stars as a woman who embarks on a hilarious journey through L.A. in hopes of making it to her last party before the end of the world, running into an eclectic cast of characters along the way. That cast of characters, by the way, not only, of course, includes Zoe Lister-Jones and Kaylee Spaney from The Craft Legacy, Zoe's previous film, but also Whitney Cummings, Finn Wolfhard, Nick Kroll, Logan Marshall Green, Fred Armisen, Bradley Whitford, Olivia Wilde, Sharon Van Etten, Lamorne Morris, and more. So, Shanna, you're a big fan of Zoe Lister-Jones as a director and actress, too. We've talked a lot about, you talked a lot about her TV show and such. She has directed four films uh, so far. Well, sorry, three films so far, one TV show. We've sung the praises of Band-Aid. We've sung the praises of Craft Legacy. Are you going to see the praises of how it ends? How does it measure up to her previous films? I love this film. I I really hope it becomes available in hard copy because obviously that's how we support our favorite creators, isn't it? I love the cast. I love the little interactions that were happening. The world building of this was so different and so not what would happen in real life. And that's okay. Because we saw how people behaved when COVID came and quarantine was going to happen for the first time. It is not a pretty picture when people get an inkling or just a a sliver of the world possibly stopping, never mind ending, in one go. So, you know, the way it was filmed is definitely in a COVID world where you can only have certain a certain amount of people available to help with the making of the film socially distanced it's it's all very clever in that it becomes the sort of commentary on a post-quarantine made movie of the world ending so I find it very fascinating I'm excited that she got to do this project I love how quiet it is I love how There's beautiful little interactions that are happening and the dialogue is very clever. The appearances by two people from two, uh, one actor, one actress from Life in Pieces was awesome. I love how she brings those people along with her as often as she can. She did that in Band-Aid as well. And what else can I say? I love watching Zoe Lister-Jones. I love watching... Kaylee Spaney and watching the two of them together is just such a treat. So uh, Daryl Wayne, by the way, is Zoe Lister-Jones husband. They've been married since uh, 2013 and they've worked on several projects together. She started in several of his projects. This movie also was filmed during the pandemic last year. So you'll notice a lot of the characters like the way the everything's blocked, everybody is at a distance from each other, like yeah. 90% of the time, I'm pretty sure. And, and so that's, that's worth noting. I love Zoe Lister Jones so much. I think she's hilarious, very witty, very bright, very smart woman. And I'm a big fan of Band-Aid and I really feel like the craft legacy just got shafted last year and just unfairly dismissed. I, I thought that was a really, that that thing had a lot of interesting things going on with it. I do not think that how it ends 
comes together as well. I don't think what it's trying to do quite sticks the landing. It it feels somewhat half baked and very episodic, and it's it's not an unwatchable movie. It's not an unenjoyable movie, uh, but yeah, I it didn't quite work. Whatever I was going after, going for, it didn't quite work for me, unfortunately. So, I give How It Ends a five out of ten. Oh, I see. <laughs> what do you give the we're, film? You're obviously we're gonna fight. <laughs> fight, 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 fight. Um, I I give it a seven. I really enjoyed it. I think it's unique in its own right, uh, given the time period it was filmed. So I think it deserves more than five understandable and that so that is how it ends on apple tv plus feel free to check it out and see for yourself what you think but we do always support zoe and we think that no matter what she's doing she's she's worth uh definitely supporting and checking out now that's the end of the weekend review and our weekend review and now it's time to move on to the main event which is our review of the eyes of Tammy Faye. Tammy Faye. What'd you do? Hello, Mother. This is Jim Baker, my husband. <laughs> it's all part of our mission to help people. Anyone who's hurting or they feel like they've been left out, God has a plan for us. What'd he tell you to do this time? Jesus keeps a ticking me higher and higher. Jim will preach, and I'll sing. God does not want us to be poor. Mother, follow a pleasure. Now God has a voice in this fight. Who's he fighting? Liberal agenda. Homosexual agenda. Faith isn't political. You can't talk to him like that. Jerry Falwell is a powerful man, Tammy Faye. She's a firecracker, Jim. If everyone watching could double their pledge just for one month. God loves you. He really does. We're not doing anything wrong, though. Is that a question? Tammy and I are undergoing the most vicious attacks. Serving God don't feel like it should be a money-making opportunity. You know, when I saw that clipping with my face on it, I thought for a second that you were proud of me. Oh, Tammy Faye, you follow blindly. In the end, all you are is blind. These eyes. I just want to love people. The devil's coming for me, Tammy. Can we talk about Satan later, Jim? Steve is a patient of AIDS. I can't look at this. You need to get her under control. I built you an empire. You built you an empire. Some people, they're just hurting so bad, and we just need to love them. Around you. And I want to put my arms around you, Tammy Faye. <laughs> I won't go for it looking in the rear view mirror of my life. This is who I am. And that was from the trailer to The Eyes of Tammy Faye, starring Jessica Chastain and Andrew Garfield, principally directed by Michael Showalter. 
The premise of the film is an intimate look at the extraordinary rise, fall, and redemption of televangelist Tammy Faye Baker. Michael Showalter is a director who's best known for such films as The Big Sick, and I think he did like My Name is Doris a couple years back, which we talked about here on the podcast. Uh, He did a movie that went to Netflix last year called The Lovebirds, and he's done a few TV projects as well. The rest of the cast includes Vincent D'Onofrio and Sherry Jones, uh, Louis Canselmi and Sam Yeager, and several others, based on the book of the same name. Now, Shanna, I think it's fair to say that we're both fans of Jessica Chastain. Yes. And I guess the question is, what sort of awareness did you have of Tammy Faye Baker going into this? And did the material measure up to the talent of Jessica Chastain? If so, what was good about the eyes of Tammy Faye? I knew nothing about Tammy Faye. I know very little about evangelists. Televangelists, yeah. Televangelists. I don't know anything. Only when I moved to America did I become aware of, is it the 700 Club? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I saw that on TV once and I was like, oh, that's very interesting. Very good. Because some people can't get out and they can't go to church or have that sense of community, but maybe through that service they can Mm -hmm. so i thought it was very smart because i don't think it's a thing in south africa and if it is it was not on my periphery uh in south africa they expect you to go to the church if you're going to go to church so rather than watching someone on tv preach yeah okay yeah i mean that can be bonus content bonus (laughs) uh, what is it called extra credit oh but there is a huge expectation unless it has changed in the last decade that you should go to church and really you know what is church it's like a community so Mm -hmm. i knew nothing about her but i loved jessica chastain's performance here she was hardly recognizable you know i didn't feel like i was watching jessica chastain i felt like i was watching tammy faye Mm. so that was that's always lovely when they get it to that point right Mm. So I really loved what Jessica Chastain did with Tammy Faye. Mm. I think it was a great use of her talent. It, there was transformation. She was unrecognizable most of the time to me because mm. she kind of allowed Tammy Faye to come through as opposed to Jessica playing Tammy. Mm. So that was really lovely. I hope she gets nominated. And... I really did like this film. I thought at the heart of it, it was about a woman just trying to love people, share with people, and and also have a good life. I love the heart of the story. I thought it was a great example of entrepreneurship, you know, learning from different experiences in your life and then building something from the ground up Mm. that's fairly successful. I mean, they ran for how many years? It seemed like it was upwards of 20 years. Yeah, I mean, if you're running for 20 years, I think you, you're pretty successeful. You mean on air for 20 Yeah, yeah. or what mm-hmm. it, with whatever yeah. you're doing. She really attracted a lot of people with just her love and understanding and holding space for people. Mm. So, And it didn't feel minus 
quoting scripture, it didn't feel like a solely Christian thing. It just felt like a, I'm trying to do the right thing and help people not feel lonely and let them know there's a community out there. Mm. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I really like the movie too. A lot of it comes down to Jessica Chastain for me. I need to get give Andrew Garfield some credit as well, but I'll get to him. Jessica Chastain is one of the greatest actresses of our time. She is like the new Meryl Streep, if you will. Granted, one of the things about Meryl Streep is her ability to um, easily work through different accents and stuff. I don't know that Jessica Chastain's on that level per se when it comes to accents, but she has just that a, a level of agility when it comes to going into different types of characters. I mean, if you look at her filmography, the assortment of people she has played, their what they are like, their character types, their personalities is widely varied. And Tammy Faye definitely adds uh, to that. Uh, let me talk about, actually, let me take a step back here. My involvement or my awareness of Tammy Faye Baker, I grew up in the 80s, right? So that was kind of like they, they came up in the 70s and the scandal started hitting in the 80s, I guess. And their downfall was like by the early 90s, right? So... By the time I was like cognitively aware of of Tammy Faye and Jim Baker, they were already kind of caricatured and, you know, she had already gone into this extreme degree of makeup and the perma makeup and everything. I mean, she just looked like she just looked wild and crazy. And she they came across like the reputation was that they were nutty Christians. Right. And. What I appreciate so much about this performance by Jessica and this film is not only does it humanize Tammy Faye Baker, but it gives me an understanding of who she really was and what her deal was. And I found myself actually in more than one occasion incredibly moved by Tammy Faye via Jessica in this film, there's just how big and open her heart was as a Christian and how she felt like her place in the world was to help people, not to judge people, not to tell them where if they're going to heaven or hell and why that is, but rather to be compassionate and empathetic with people and accept mm. she, you know, she apparently as per this film felt that we're all people, no matter what our differences are. And so we should all be loved by the Christian God and, uh, and uh, we should all be as Christians there to help each other. Right. No matter what. And it sounds like for a time, they did a lot of good work as Christians. I mean, helping youth of various different types, helping people in, in bad situations, creating safe spaces for them. You know, it. what is interesting about the film is it does become a movie where someone gets corrupted by the power that they have. Someone gets corrupted by the money that they have or isn't a very good business manager and that leads to their downfall, right? 
But, and also, you know, it creates issues in the relationship. And we've seen that before. Sure, this is obviously something that happens repeatedly in history for a reason. But I thought it really worked. Let's talk about Andrew Garfield for a second here. Because I feel like in all the chatter about this movie, Chastain is really going to overshadow Garfield. And I really think that he's owed some time. Yeah, so I didn't actually recognize him. I don't see Andrew Garfield's face that much. Wow. And I'm not a huge fan of him, but this this movie, his portrayal really does make me notice him. Hmm. So you liked you liked his performance in the movie? Yes. So, you know, Andrew Garfield's a an Englishman. I don't know how old he is. I'll look that up because I do believe that there is a huge age discrepancy between Chastain and Andrew Garfield. And there is because, well, it's not huge. It's more like a few years because I think she's like in her early 40s and he's in his, at this point, late 30s. It's like you and me. <laughs> yeah, actually, it very much yeah. is. It very much is. So, A, that's really nice to have age-appropriate partner casting, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but he's a guy that I've been aware of, well, ever since The Social Network, but especially, like, Never Let Me Go, which came out the same year. And I've been impressed with him since Never Let Me Go. He is a guy that can bring a lot of power and emotional rawness to his roles. And I think that, like, he is... He does a, a really a, a commendable job transforming himself into this at first humble Christian man who falls in love with this lovable, charming, spirited Christian girl who have the same passion and they decide to create this life for each other where they are uh, essentially hitting the road around the country and trying to not necessarily save people, but spread the word of God. Yeah, right? I don't think they even say the word save, which gets used so much in any media involving Christianity, yeah. which I just loved, you know? If saving's going to happen, it's going to happen. Let's just spread the word. Let's just let people know that they're loved. That is yeah. so much better than what I grew up with. And kids, too. And it sounds like, it seems like they fed off of each other pretty well as performers. So... I, I thought he did an uh, impressive job of humanizing Jim Baker, making him someone who is a real person who becomes flawed, who they even established pretty well that sometimes he's not like great with money management and he can make mistakes. And that ended up being a fatal issue for the, not a fatal issue, but a, a, a huge issue <laughs> that, that for them in the future. And we can talk more about that in spoilers. But I really think that Andrew Garfield, yes, I think to an extent he is outperformed by Chastain here, but he is no slouch in this film either. Was there anything else that you wanted to talk about that was good about the eyes of Tammy Faye before we move on? I like the choices in the casting. I just realized Sam Yeager who isn't in the majority of the film, but kind of comes in around the third act. He's from The Handmaid's Tale. He's the Canadian. Mm. Uh, people who watch it will know what I'm saying when I say that. And Vincent D'Onofrio, I'm pretty sure he was in 
Law and Order Special Victims Unit. Okay. Could be wrong there. Maybe you want to double check me. So recognizable faces and just slightly made up in such a way that I'm like, who is that again? Who is that again? So that was really fun. Yeah. And Cherry Jones is another example as well in terms of the mm. uh, the makeup. Criminal Intent okay. is yeah, criminal what he intent. was in. He, of course, D'Onofrio has been in a bajillion different things yeah. over the past He's the cockroach guy and Men in Black. Right. Yeah. <laughs> He's the idiot in Jurassic World. He's <laughs> Kingpin and Daredevil on Netflix. He's done so many things. His credits are quite lengthy. Well, why don't we talk about what you didn't like about the film? Well, first, I just want to also, before I do, commend the makeup in this film. I actually think that the makeup work in this movie deserves like award nominations. It's so the transformation of the actresses to their characters, uh, even Jim Baker, uh, Andrew Garfield and him over time, this isn't splotchy shoddy makeup work. This is actually, it feels real and especially all the work. I mean, have you seen Jessica Chastain? She is pale as fuck. Beautiful. Don't get me wrong. Like I, yeah, I think right. she's gorgeous, and, but and she's then, pale yeah, as fuck. She's orange brown tan. Yeah, like it, it, it's a progression. Yeah, right yeah. from when she's in her college years to to in her sixties or whatever it is. But the the transformation <laughs> over the course of the film is actually really impressive. I would imagine that there was a lot, a lot of bronzer. Mm. and other things i would love to hear about the technique that they did with jessica chastain because there was probably practical and if they needed there would have been like post-production work too yeah so did you have any issues with the movie anything that didn't quite work for you uh flaws or even like anything with the overall material that maybe was a little weak well to be fair i asked you first (laughs) <laughs> you're deflecting you're yeah. so deflecting you're like stalling for time okay so actually i don't have much i believe like yes i can understand anyone who kind of was like oh here we go again with this story about man essentially ruining things for a woman you know power corruption all that sort of stuff i can only understand someone having that perspective because yes you know but also when we're talking about biopics you know when we're talking about movies based on reality you know, it uh, it it's clearly happened repeatedly, right? <laughs> like in real life. So, to what extent can you really criticize the movie for uh, having an element of it that tells a story that has happened multiple times in the tw- throughout the twentieth century? You know, so I I don't really fault the movie for that, but I could see why someone would. The only real issue I have with it, and it's not even a big one, it's just it's just there is the movie's called The Eyes of Tammy Faye Baker, which, Shanna, you pointed out to me. What? Why is it called that? We're only seeing the story from her perspective. We're not jumping to other people's perspectives. Every now and again, we see something that in, you know, when the scandal happens and a certain character is taking over everything, we, we see that happening without her in the room, but mostly we're seeing everything having to do with her 
from her perspective like whether it's talking to god or whether it's interacting with husband family supporters that's an excellent point sometimes we have some internal dialogue with uh, with god with her god but also we also see her in the hallway or in the shadows seeing things happening or going down that aren't quite right or whatever or she overhears things so i thought that was very astute i appreciated that However, one of the biggest things about the movie or about Tammy Faye Baker, I should say, that became something that defined Tammy Faye, especially in the 80s and in the in the rest of her life, was the degree with which she would apply makeup. And this is something that was parodied and satirized and and poked fun at she became a subject of ridicule because of the lengths in which she would she even went so far as to have permanent maker her lips were permanently lined her eyes i think were permanently lined or something like that her eyebrows became permanent all these kinds of things and i wish the movie kind of helped us understand better why she went as far as she did was it because she had she thought she saw value in how she looked as far as uh, being a wife? Was it that this was something that she 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 had a philosophy of how to get people's attention in in the public? I don't know what it was necessarily be, because the movie doesn't go into it and help us understand. Okay, it's one thing to wear makeup. It's another to go to the lengths that she does where she clearly is overdoing it. Is it her part of being seduced by the amount of wealth that they have? I don't know. And I wish the movie did go into explaining that a little more than they do. You know, I think her makeup was just at a bad time. You look at how people are putting makeup on now. Everything is really well blended. There's a lot of this highlight shadow stuff that I don't understand, but it makes people happy. Usually people wearing makeup, it makes them feel good. You know, when you and I started dating, I would wear makeup and now I hardly wear any. You know, it's just a... It's a ritual for a lot of women and sometimes the style that's happening at the that period of time can be really extreme you know you look at her makeup how it was done on stage in her last performance that we see and that makeup makes sense for what she's doing there because you know you're far away from people you're being lit by very harsh light you kind of need to go extreme with the makeup theatrical makeup is very addictive when I first tried makeup it was for a dance show and I felt great in that makeup. So it's probably just a, a, a normal self-esteem booster for people. It makes them feel good about themselves. It, sometimes it's because they just want to feel good and sometimes it's to cover something up. So it really just depends person to person. But I understand what you're saying, like one line here, one line there. I, I think they might have tackled that, at least for a woman who grew up with the makeup industry. Uh, that gets said in the beginning of the film and then a couple of lines throughout the film. But I can understand what you're saying. I And also cosmetic. She, she clearly has cosmetic work done too. And they never really show her have cosmetic work done or even address that either. As a woman, I'm okay with them not showing that. I don't need to see 
that over and over again. I, I see it so much in the media women who have had work done or are in the process of getting done there are multiple reality shows that have been in existence since I don't know I was 12 that deal with that so I I'm fine that they sidestepped it and kept to the goal of what she wanted to do she you know even when she messed up all she wanted to do at the end of the day was let other people know that they weren't alone and that she and God and Jesus loved them so I'm totally I know how you feel I'm totally cool that they skipped that stuff I don't need explanation it's just so essential to the this particular character this particular person so it really feels like an an oversight in the film so I mean and most of what you're saying is conjecture it's not stuff that's actually in the film in terms of her motivation so in everything else in a movie we expect to the film to at least suggest if not outright explain why uh, why certain traits of, of a person is the way it is and what the what their motivations are and this is a big one with this particular character so that's that's uh, why I, that was a problem for me did you have anything that came to your mind that was a problem or was this a like a perfect one of the best movies of the year i was you know, maybe I need to see it again because there's only so much I can absorb and appreciate the first time viewing something. But I feel like this is light Oscar worthy. You know, it's not the best film of the year, but it certainly should get noticed for certain things. Best actress performance, maybe supporting actress. Her mother was mm -hmm. awesome and mm -hmm. reminded me so much of my gran that I love dearly, my mom's mom, and down to the glasses that she was wearing. It was cr <laughs> it was so crazy, and the hairstyle and everything was just there. And the way she spoke about Christianity and God and what being a good Christian is, contrasting with Jessica Chastain, was pretty on point with <laughs> what I grew up with as well. Mm. And I like that they had... You know, they also didn't make a big deal out of that. It was just, I don't think you're right, but she was still somewhat there. And just two totally different goals for mm. the two women. I, I just, I find it fascinating. What do you score the film out of 10? Do you think the good outweighs the bad? Yeah, probably an eight. Seems to be my favorite number. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Uh, 7 out of 10 for me. I definitely think the good uh, strongly outweighs the bad, especially Jessica Chastain. A big part of this film, a big draw of the film for me was not the subject matter, not Michael Showalter as a director, but Jessica Chastain starring and also Andrew Garfield starring as well were big draws. I highly recommend checking it out, but it's not a perfect film. I give it a 7 out of 10. You know, we didn't speak about how entrepreneurial this film is. I mentioned a little bit about how they broke away and made their own channel, but we didn't speak about the tenacity that Jessica Chastain, Tammy Faye has and how she squeezes her way into the men-only table with her baby, with food, so that she can be part of the conversation. You know, she's constantly helping build the brand. Well, let's talk a little bit more about that in spoiler talk. 
and our final thoughts of the film. If you haven't seen the film, skip ahead to the film phase segment timestamp in the show notes. We'll help you with that. If you have seen the film, it is in select theaters. It's not a wide release, but if you have seen it, come along with us and listen in to our spoiler talk for the film, The Eyes of Tammy Faye, starting now. Okay, Shanna, so let's talk about their business. Let's talk about their lifestyle. Let's talk about her role in in everything. Yeah, so they meet at... What is it called when you're studying religion? Well, they meet at a college. Theology school. Yeah, it's some sort Theology of a, a Christian university. Yeah, so they meet there. They figure this is going to work for their life. They get married, and they're at home, and she's, she creates a puppet and you know when she's younger she makes a shadow puppet to speak to Mm -hmm. uh, during her loneliness and when she sees her husband getting defeated she creates this puppet that talks to him and makes him feel good and then they have a puppet show that they travel with across the country then they get picked up by a christian network channel and then, you know, they, they want more. And they're there for two years and then, uh, no, four years? They're there for four years. And she decides, you know, we can do this. We can make our own. We can build it to this point in two years. We can do it in half the time. Mm. And I just thought that that was so, so interesting because, that you know, during that moment, that's when she had pushed herself into the boys' table and really made her opinions known and kind of got Christianity back on track. You know, we had Reverend Farewell. No, no, no. Jerry Falwell. Jerry Falwell. Yeah. And he was there saying, oh, we're anti-homosexuals, anti-this, anti-that, anti- Women too. Women, yeah. women, uh, what do you, what's the- Feminists. Women's libera- liberation. Yeah. And any liberal anything. Yes. Which is so not supposed to be what Christianity is. And she kind of interjects and says- we're supposed to love all the people, you know, and not judge anyone. And But she does get shut down. Too. She does get shut down. And they go away to the restroom. <laughs> He's like, what are you doing? Her husband. And she says, well, I'm changing the child's diaper. And he's like, no, I mean what you did. We're never going to get anywhere. And she's like, let's just make our own thing. And they do. They build this successful brand that does charity work, but also, you know, quite the production, quite the show on TV. It's wonderful. And they build it to such a point that they're one of the first, like they get their own satellite. Excuse our dog. She's very tired and comfortable. And... I just, like, she doesn't give up. Even though, yes, Jim Baker is dealing with, (laughs) not dealing very well with money Mm -hmm. and transactions and budget and is living too luxuriously and paying himself way too much. He's making the fuck-ups, but she is constantly trying to make up for his fuck-ups. And it's very interesting. And she also doesn't shame him for his mess-ups, which is, that little part there is a great, marriage example if you're going to go into a business as a couple that could be a a great example of how to treat each other versus you know what happens at the end okay so there's a lot to unpack in 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 all that there's a lot there there is definitely a chauvinism and a patriarchy that's in that becomes inherent in this culture i guess you could say 
of of powerful Christians, televangelists, whatever. And you know, it's it's interesting because on one hand they were like, "Oh, I love you, Tammy Faye. You're so you're you're so great. It's so nice to see you." And the other, if she disagrees, you know, she's shut down. She's shut down numerous times throughout. And let's it's important to point out, she's the one that comes up with the puppet show idea that they take on the road and translate into a children's show because she wants to partially find ways to connect with kids. And then I think Jim Baker gets his own show because she comes up with the idea of, oh, well, why don't you have something for adults to, you know, have the kids get their adults hooked on, on, you know, or check out your show. And that show ends up being, by the way, the 700 club, which is it something that I had a family friend in the 80s who would watch, and so I had an awareness of it, but I didn't really know what it was. I thought it was just people getting together and discussing things. I didn't know it was like a very Christian-focused uh, sort of, I don't know if it was Bible study or what, but it's some sort of like discussion. Well, because if you watch it, they, they sometimes deal with what's happening in the world, but very limitedly, because I had mm-hmm. started watching it when I first got you, and then I was like, Oh, okay. This is for Christian people. That's fantastic. Good job, guys. Switch the channel. <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I gotta ask you though, because okay, so you you mentioned how Jim Baker. It's all about expanding, constantly expanding, mm-hmm. bigger, bigger, bigger. Next mm-hmm. big thing. Always all these projects, mm-hmm. and he never has. He he never focuses on paying off the projects before he expands. He's always constantly like expanding and so there's all these creditors who are constantly after him to get paid contractors too who are involved in making those things a reality and that's really where the build-up snowballs into being a, a big problem where he doesn't even pay taxes because that that well, they gets have to be tax exemption well th- that gets to be a tricky area that they start to really they don't really get into it too much in the movie but it's very clear he's walking a tightrope there between okay at what point do you go from being a church to a christian business that (laughs) needs to pay taxes and yes uh, apparently you can look it up and he did oh like millions of dollars in taxes apparently and that really helped uh, lead to the downfall of of their business and they had to sell so much of the luxury and he would also apparently like use the funds for things that he shouldn't be using the funds that he's getting from donors well and that's what really nailed him and then t- i guess taxes were just like and he has some more yeah you know? yeah so so many things but i have to ask you do you think there's anything along the way particularly in the 70s and 80s do you think that there's anything that tammy faye participated in or anything that she uh did wrong during that time or do you feel like it was really all just jim i mean the movie doesn't really look into what she might have done wrong if anything she vaguely knew something was up and she had this sort of ignorance of we're not doing anything wrong are we uh, she says in mm-hmm. you know yeah. beginning of the channel they're like in it maybe two or three years yeah at which point he's already having issues with creditors but i think she wanted to do good and i think she just she wanted to spend money too you mm. know like i mean we're all kind of guilty of that to be quite honest but not knowing how much you get paid 
sounds like if they didn't file taxes at all in any capacity, then yeah. Yeah, you're doing something wrong. Because, you know, I'm late one day for a payment because I set the date wrong and I'm in heaps of trouble. So, uh, yeah, I think that's as wrong as she got. I feel like she her her heart is in the right place Mm. but i feel like she existed in blissful ignorance yeah it's possible she chose that yeah and she just absolutely was choosing to live a luxurious life of ignorance and i mean like her uh nails start changing what she wears start changing the size of their house changes um, there's all sorts of extravagant uh, extravagance on her <laughs> and around her, right? And I feel like the if there's one thing that she did wrong, a not only trusting the wrong people and not stepping up and really letting her forcing her voice to be heard, because even her mom, as as sometimes problematic as her mom was in terms of supporting her daughter, her mom also had a certain degree of sense of like where's the how where's the money coming from for all of this kind of thing and she's not necessarily yeah. wrong right a bit of a debbie downer maybe but she's not necessarily wrong and uh, tammy faye probably needed a little to take heed a little bit more of that sort of stuff rather than just being kind of brushing it all off and just being like oh well when are we going to get our nails done or whatever you know well i think her mother just didn't give her enough praise And when you have a mother that's not giving you enough praise, you're not going to listen when they're actually warning you. Mm. So I feel like that's fine. You Mm. know, Uh, do I wish she woke up from that? Yes. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And she became the living embodiment of excess after a certain point. And just uh, I think that's probably the one thing that she maybe could be faulted for. But uh, I really appreciate how this movie kind of clarified who she was as a person and, and what her intentions was, were as a person and where her heart was. Yeah, there's a scene near the end where she has her makeup done theatrically and she's just getting out of the car. She hasn't gone to any stage or anything. And she has some neighbor teenage boys that make fun of her face, mm-hmm. her makeup. And she actually goes to them and she says, okay, well, if you're going to talk about me, at least know my name and introduce yourself so I know your name. Yeah. And she said hi and she chit-chatted with them a little bit and... Clearly diffused it probably to an extent. Yeah, but also like there's her thing to connect again, Mm, you know? Yeah. And she always, throughout the film, she's saying, oh, well, you know, there's a lot of people hurting and we just have to try really hard. Yeah. and love them and it's like well she's she's kind of right yeah. in a sense yeah yeah so i just I, I i thought there were really good moments anything else that you wanted to speak to in the spoilers i'm really glad that the gold decor is no longer like a thing oh, except when it's like maybe christmas yeah which i'm like that's totally appropriate <laughs> yeah 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 all right hey 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 and also Jessica Chastain, man, a bit of a triple threat. She can sing. Did she do the singing, or was it a s- I mean, singing it, in the rain kind of situation? Oh God, I, I hope not. It's It really genuinely seemed like she was the one singing. If someone knows different, please you know, let us let us know. 
Yeah, she does. Jessica Chastain does her own covers of Tammy Faye Baker's original songs. Well, good for you, Jessica. Yeah, man. She is a triple threat. She is amazing. So Next, a portrayal of Jessica Rabbit. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm having fun. Anyway, so those are our thoughts of The Eyes of Tammy Faye. What do you think? Do you agree or disagree? Feel free to email us at thegibsonreview at gmail.com. Now it's time to move on to film faves. A lot of people's favorite segment wherein we count down our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic. We do this partially to give you an idea of our taste in movies, but also primarily, hopefully, to expose you to other titles you may not have heard of before or to talk about ones that, you know, maybe you've seen, you've heard of, but haven't seen yet. So to that end, we do point you in the direction of subscription streamers that these films may be available on, so you can go check them out after listening. However, there's a quite a plethora of streamers, so we only focus on five or six. Those are Amazon Prime, Netflix, Hulu, Apple TV+, Disney+, and HBO Max. Not very many end up being on TV on Disney Plus so far, but and actually not very many movies end up being on any of the streamers, which is crazy. That is kind of the case. I think there's just under half the movies that we're going to talk about are available on those streamers today. What we're going to talk about are entrepreneur movies, movies about people in business, salespeople, people who start their own business, what have you, things that have the entrepreneur spirit, if you will. And for this, I struggled quite a bit for once on the topic. And so... <laughs> oh, it's wonderful. Suffer. Suffer. <laughs> so I went to Shanna once to help bail me out, and we created... On our... his hands and knees, he came to me, begging, begging for help. <laughs> and you were very I graceful. Wish. I you're, wish. You're much did. more graceful than you are now. <laughs> I'm just thinking, it's like, when has this ever happened? Like, never. Not very often, not very often. And so you were gracious enough <laughs> to <laughs> allow us to do a combined list of our 12 favorite entrepreneur uh, movies. So, Shanna, I, I kind of already kind of tipped my hand a little bit in terms of what the experience was like making the list from me. Do you want to talk at all about your experience making the movies? You had one or two that you had to catch up on. Uh, for the making of for researching this list or preparing well, for it. Well, hang on now. You're totally getting rid of the personal story linked to entrepreneurship. Go ahead. Tsk tsk tsk. So I am a fourth generation entrepreneur. Everyone before me was an entrepreneur of some kind, whether it was being a seamstress, dressmaker for wedding and ballroom gowns, to a rubber manufacturing plant for car parts, shoe soles. Uh, and then, oh, I'm forgetting about the other one. Well, you know, something, something entrepreneurial <laughs> that I'm like is escaping me. So I'm very proud to wear that badge as a fourth generation entrepreneur because it means we're all hard workers and I've got that all in my DNA and there's, you know, I don't really have a choice. <laughs> it's, it's there, got to use it. So at a certain point in our lives together, we work together on my photography business and you know when you're married and you're doing business and personal life it can be really challenging and you know you have ups and downs and then 
when you don't work together anymore, there's still the ups and downs and it's just yourself to blame. So it's a very hard life, but it can have these really rewarding moments and these high highs and low lows if you get sales or if you lose a client or you you messed up because you're inexperienced in dealing with a particular issue. So that's kind of where I'm coming from when I'm picking what movies I loved. Like how relatable is this? Something like Glenn Gary Glenn Ross is incredibly relatable, but it is so painful reliving that. I'm like, this is not going on my list. <laughs> it's like, it is, it's a painful example of what happens, but so well illustrated. And who doesn't love Jack Lemmon? So that's my honorable mention. <laughs> so do you have any personal story that you want to share? I, 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 I'll, I'll just share that I've been an entrepreneur for the better part of 10 10- the past 10 years and have continued the entrepreneur spirit since my last business folded. And once you realize that you have that in you, it's very hard to go back to having people watching over you, working for people, working as a subordinate, all this sort of stuff, working when other people want you to work, all that sort of stuff. Uh, And so, you know, there is that. and, And I don't know if any, of these movies specifically speak to those feelings, maybe one or two actually, but you know, there's the, certainly the risk involved in being an entrepreneur. Some of these movies uh, address and some of the benefits of being an entrepreneur, some of these movies address as well. And that's, that's about all I have to say about that. You know, when it comes down to it, it's, these are movies I love, and these are the ones that qualify that that made the list for me. We will be going back and forth at a certain point, you know, talking about movies. But I think for the first six movies, we'll be taking turns, one talking about three movies in a row, and then the other talking about three movies in a row. And with that, actually, Shanna, I'm going to have you start us off with our picks 12 through 10. Our number 12 is from 2008, Sunshine Cleaning. If you see this in the half price books, dollar burn, five dollar burn, it's totally worth grabbing. It is such an enjoyable film and does obviously speak to the entrepreneurship life that it is. It stars Amy Adams, Emily Blunt, Alan Arkin. Which, like, who doesn't want to see Alan Arkin? Like, yeah. I love it. And yeah, he, so. Even Glenn Gary Glenn yes, Ross. Yeah. <laughs> such a weird character. So, Sunshine Cleaning is about uh, one of the sisters starting a cleaning business, biohazard crime scene cleaning business, and her sister joins in with her. So, if you ever want to get a taste of what it's like to work with family, this is a sure bet because you're spending time with each other all the time. You're getting all your experiences together, life experiences together. So it can be very challenging and bring up a lot of stuff. I love the performances. I love the story. I think it's really fresh. And there's a lot of comedic moments too. That is Sunshine Cleaning. Our number 11 is, of course, Erin Brockovich, starring Julia Roberts, Albert Finney, and a couple of others. She is unemployed and she is a single mother of two, I believe, and is trying to make things work. And how does she do that? She beca- she forces her way into a position at a legal office as an assistant and basically whistleblows what a California power company is responsible for with polluting water and causing a lot of health issues in that neighborhood. 
a great example of strong woman in business who doesn't take no shit. She won't be shut down. Yeah, there will be none of that. Mm. Yeah, so if you want to <laughs> try and absorb that through osmosis, uh, go ahead and check out that movie. Our next one is Working Girl from to 1988 it's very 80s <laughs> it's fantastic the stockings are just fabulous you know <laughs> i love it and the fact that women are walking to get to work taking trans public transportation in socks and sneakers and then changing into high heels when they reach the office is fantastic and i i see a lot of people doing that even in seattle a lot of big hair as well oh, all the big hair even if it's short hair it's big yeah so we have a, another very smart woman we have melanie griffith's character tess uh, it also stars harrison ford sigourney weaver i mean hell yeah and a little bit of alec baldwin and joan cusack who you love and joan cusack who is unrecognizable because of the makeup she's oh, wearing it's so it's bad so, you know, it's of its time. It's a thing. It's when the three different color eyeshadow was a thing oh. and no blending, no blending. I feel like we've come very far, very far in makeup in the, the last decade where if you want to wear multiple colors, that's fine as long as you fucking blend. So this is <laughs> so Melanie Griffith plays Tess, who is a secretary to her boss, Sigourney Weaver, and she comes up with a great idea. She's put herself through uh, night school as a secretary, but she's also very into extra credit, if you will, researching different companies, what they're up to in the business world and which direction they might move in next. She's at a merger office, I believe. So they're very responsible for helping facilitate those things with, mm. for different companies. And uh, unfortunately, she brings up her idea to her first female boss Mm -hmm. and it doesn't go so well so she takes matters into her own hands and we see a few comedic and completely relatable moments afterwards Whew, so that is working girl and now it's your turn to talk a mile a minute <laughs> all right so now we're on our number nine favorite entrepreneur movie film and this is the most iconic of entrepreneur films is considered the greatest film, American film ever made by many. It is Citizen Kane from 1941, available on HBO Max, our first movie on our list, available on one of the streamers. This, of course, is sort of a takedown of William Randolph Hearst, who was a huge newspaper magnet. Magnet? Man get. I don't know how you say it. <laughs> Man get. Man get business. <laughs> uh, of the, uh, I don't know, early 2000s or early 1900s, I mean, you know, and the 30s and, and 40s. Very powerful man. And this film is about a similarly very powerful man. And it's essentially about how power, especially with men, it seems, who've yeah. always uh, historically been in power, you know, corrupts, right? And they get further and further away from the person they used to be right and it's it's really part of the whole secret of what rosebud is all about and how in a way actually uh, his fate was decided to an extent and then he took as an adult fate into his own hands 
and just ended up slowly being corrupted by that power, corrupted by the extravagance of his life, you know? I mean, having a mansion that has a name and that's a giant piece of property, you know, <laughs> where, like, you could easily not know if someone's home <laughs> because the halls echo and all this sort of stuff. Anyway, a great film. A lot of people forget how amusing and how fun the film can be because of its prestige status. And I, I highly recommend... If you haven't seen the film yet, please check it out on HBO Max. That's Citizen Kane from 1941. Next, number eight, completely different end of the spectrum. Also going back to the 80s here, we have one of my childhood favorite movies. I know it's childhood favorite. is a little weird considering some of the content in this movie, but I grew up loving and watching this movie. It's from 1987. It's The Secret of My Success. It's a very strange movie for you to have as a childhood movie, love. <laughs> I think Terminator 2 is great to have as a childhood movie, but this one's a little weird. Hey, man, you, you, you're basically saying, hey, as a kid, Watch blood and gore, not people <laughs> having sex. Um, there's a little bit of, a, but it's it's a hilarious comedy of I don't know. It's a little bit of a, a 80s comedy of class. It's a little bit of a comedy about uh, having an independent spirit in the uh, corporate world and trying to get ahead and what what kind of out of the box thinking it might take or be required to be successful. Michael J. Fox stars as a guy who moves from like his family farm in in Kansas or something like that to uh, New York city, where a distant uncle is like the CEO of a major corporation. And he gets a mailroom job. He wants more than that. So he creates a double life where he creates this, this executive character who allows him to get ideas in the boardroom and stuff. And Helen Slater also stars uh, the great Richard Jordan, stars as his uncle it's a hilarious fun i i, I love the movie i love it's very 80s but i love the movie so much it's so much fun i highly recommend it uh, if you can find it that's the secret of my success from 1987 next you probably knew it had to have come up just as inevitable as citizen kane 2010's the social network available on amazon prime and hulu i'm the big not perpetrator. I'm the big promoter of the social network between the two of us. I think it is the most recent great American film, one that we haven't had very many of over the past hundred years or so. I think it is the next great one. Aaron Sorkin wrote the script, David Fincher directed, and Jesse Eisenberg plays a version of Mark Zuckerberg, details the creation of Facebook, first of all, Facebook. Andrew Garfield from The Eyes of Tammy Faye definitely got a lot of attention and a, a good career boost because of his co-starring role in this film. The guy who is the best friend of Mark Zuckerberg, who is in it from the very beginning. This is a good story, as far as that goes, about how sometimes success can destroy relationships, can destroy the people closest to you. Also worth noting, Justin Timberlake gives a fantastic mm -hmm. performance. He needs to act more in non-comedic work. I think he's fantastic. Anyway, that's The Social Network. Love the film. You've probably heard about it before. It's from 2010, and it's available on Amazon Prime and Hulu, should you need to revisit it. All right, Shanna, back to you for a couple more movies. What is our sixth favorite entrepreneur movie? 
Our number six is Lord of War from 2005, starring Nicolas Cage, Ethan Hawke, Jared Leto, and several others. Nicolas Cage becomes an entrepreneur through the arms deal business. He slowly works his way up from a single gun being sold to an entire, he has everything you might need, arsenal. Nothing could possibly go wrong no, nothing. with this everything kind of work. Everything is going to be just fine. No one else has fucked this entrepreneurial step up before. <laughs> Nothing bad is going to happen. <laughs> Everything goes wrong. It has one of the best opening title sequences that show the life of a bullet from its creation to where it will end up. And how many countries are involved in the production of something like this. Uh, so it basically looks at his whole life for this entrepreneurial venture and does it end well does it not does he live does he die like what happens and it's it's a brilliant movie there's a fantastic scene in it where he has to land a plane immediately he tells villagers take everything and they literally tear the entire plane apart there is nothing left for the fbi to get him on so there's a bit of cat and mouse game happening of course and uh, there are some scenes that are shot in one of the South African Cape Town Opera House, I believe. So, or, or it's some sort of theater location. So lots of fun. And since now we're past the halfway mark, what is our fifth favorite entrepreneur movie? Why is my favorite film... <laughs> of this genre solo anyway this is what happens sometimes if we're combining lists what ends up being my first might not be the first film because you have to share and see what's you know common it's a process common it's a picks. process yeah. common picks will make it to the top so anyway wolf of wall street 2013 starring a number of people leonardo dicaprio uh jonah hill and Margot Robbie and so many others that I'm not going to get into, but it's the it's the true story of a entrepreneur, Wall Street is it, is it, stockbroker, I believe. Yeah, Robert is it his name, Robert Belford, or something like that. We're going to look it up because as much as I love this movie, I don't know all the details by heart. It's the true story of Jordan Belfort. Mm -hmm. from his rise to a wealthy stockbroker living the high life and. Uh, his involvement in crime and fraud, etc. You know, you could watch Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, or you could watch Wolf of Wall Street to learn about sales tactics, sales psychology, sales, mm -hmm. sale highs and lows as a seller. And, you know, this is the more extreme, more entertaining version of it. I absolutely love this film. I have a very, like you said, weird relationship with this film. <laughs> But it's it's a lot of fun, and there's a lot of comedic moments involved with quaaludes and a bunch of other things. Yeah, yeah, that movie is insane. Our fourth favorite entrepreneur movie is actually my absolute favorite. It's from 1996. It's Jerry Maguire on HBO Max. I mean, this guy, he literally leaves his... He leaves his agency, not by choice, but because he got inspired to build relationships. How about this for a <laughs> Build relationships with your clients. 
You know, rather than treat them like another number and move on to the next person, treat them like garbage and not really hurt. So he insists on this or whatever. He puts this out there and costs him his job. He creates his own agency. And sometimes, you know, when you're when you're building agencies, when you're building sales, whatever it is, all you need is that one client to build from. If you can get that one client and keep that relationship and create that trust, that that loyalty, you could build from there. And a lot of people talk about this as it's as a romantic comedy. You know, I see this movie as two things primarily: romantic comedy, third, and that is a sports film and an entrepreneur film. This is all about someone trying hold up the freaking like stress and the heart palpitation you know the the, yeah. the situations that <laughs> goes into making something from the ground up in a highly competitive field and you know it's it, it does that very a well crazy field it yeah. also yes it also there's a lot about the character jerry Maguire, you know trying to find his humanity right this is kind of the opposite story of what movies like Citizen Kane and Eyes of Tammy Faye depict, where they start out as good people and they become corrupted. This person, when we first meet him, he's not a great guy. He's very superficial. He's very on the surface. He never gets deep, and he has to learn to go deeper as a human being as the movie progresses. So I adore Jerry Maguire, available on HBO Max. You know, you gave me a new fondness for that film. By putting it in entrepreneur context, it is the better way to do sales. If the person doesn't know you, it's going to be hard to sell to them, like in Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Okay. Mm -hmm. And there's only so much sales bullying you can do Mm -hmm. until people never speak to you again. Whereas if you build a relationship with them and are there for them for when you need, when they need you, that is so much easier, so much less exhausting do you need a recoup day sometimes? Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, it's like Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, how not to do sales. Jerry Maguire, how to do sales. Yes, <laughs> you know? exactly. After the first, what is it, 15 minutes, if that. All right, Shanna, share with us our third favorite entrepreneur film. All right. Our third one is Chef, starring John Favreau, who is also, it's also written and directed by him. Robert Downey Jr., because why the hell not? Scarlett Johansson, because why not? Dustin Hoffman, John Leguizamo, Bobby Cannavale, and a bunch of other people, like even Oliver Platt, Amy Sedaris. I mean, I could keep going. I, yeah. It just sounds like, it just sounds like John Favreau wanted to have a party for three months or however <laughs> long it took to shoot and was like, okay, I want all my friends. Here you go, guys. You're invited. So it's a great film about a head chef who quits his job from a very well-known prestige restaurant to start his own food truck. He has had enough of <laughs> working for someone else and doing what they want and not being taken seriously for all his experience and his profession and decides to put that energy into something else. You know, there's a really great scene. I don't know a lot about the chef world. I only know a little bit about what my brother tells me and not, I I don't know what chefs are like, but it's almost like Fight Club. They just, they don't talk about it. So I love the scene where John Favreau is cooking for Scarlett Johansson and it's just carbonara Mm -hmm. now i know carbonara is fucking delicious and i wish i could have it more often 
But the way she enjoys that bowl of carbonara is she's like, just freaking open your own place <laughs> is just such a wonderful push mm. for support. And I believe his ex-wife and son support him too. I think there's a dip somewhere in between as is any story or life, but there's this lovely support around him and then comedic moments like learning how to Twitter and how Twitter is public, not private can cause a bunch of shit. So it was, mm. it's really lovely. Yeah. You make me want to rewatch that film. It's been a while for me. I'm going to announce the next film and I'm going to let you kind of take it away as far as why it's one of our favorite movies. This is our second favorite entrepreneur movie. It is, from 1971, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, available on HBO Max. So, Shanna, why is it that this movie came to our minds? And why is it one of our absolute favorite entrepreneur movies? This is one of my favorite Roald Dahl stories. Mm -hmm. For one thing, it is also one of the, like, 98% best executed Roald Dahl's story into movie format. Yeah. And is so memorable and so enjoyable and so quoted, so gifed, you know, yeah, yeah. on the social media world. This is, for those who have no idea what I'm talking about, it is about a candy maker who... Mm -hmm starts off small and makes an empire international empire they even reach where do they reach they reach around the world i don't they're really all remember. around the world and a little bit of representation here there in a couple of quick shots but he decides to have a competition he wants to invite five people five children to his factory it has it is so secret the formulas are so protected for his candy that it, the factory has never been open to the public in something like 20 or 30 years something uh -huh. ridiculous yeah. and these children and their adults are brought to the factory so that he can as it turns out as it turns out see who will take over the factory who who's is worthy. going to be his mentor who is he going to mentor mm -hmm. and it's it's just one of those insanely bizarre success stories if you look at it from an entrepreneurship angle. And of course, he would need to go through a vetting process to see who he's going to give his life's work to and share with. And, you know, being alone, being quarantined does something to a person's brain. So he has these wonderful moments. And Gene Wilder is just one of our absolute favorite actors his they they could not have cost Willy Wonka better 100% oh absolutely and they didn't <laughs> when no, they, they tried. did not successfully no yeah 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 great film 100% and I will share with us and you can add in your thoughts of our absolute favorite number one favorite entrepreneur movie is the Hudsucker Proxy from 1994 by the Coen Brothers Starring Tim Robbins, John Mahoney, Jennifer Jason Lee, Bruce Campbell, and many others. Paul Newman, especially, and Charles Durney. Uh, this, what a this, fun Paul Newman. Oh man, character. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, my first exposure actually to Paul Newman. That's really funny. As a matter of fact, so I I thought of him as this old gruff kind of grumpy dude not nice dude so it's it's very interesting seeing older Paul Newman versus younger Paul Newman anyway 
this movie I love. I love the score, who I, be- I believe was conducted by, uh, composed by Carter Burwell, if I'm not mistaken. He's done a lot of other Coen Brother films. Uh, it is so funny. It has just this funhouse mirror look at corporate life. Of course, taking place back in like the 40s. So it's a, a bit of a throwback to movies like His Girl Freddy, especially with Jennifer Jason Lee's performance, definitely channeling Rosalind Russell of the His Girl Friday. Uh, I was very much taken by her immediately. There's a scene where she is just machine gunning her dialogue in this very, like, <laughs> yes. you know, wise journalist kind of manner, uh, 40s <laughs> manner, and it's just uh, just impeccable. I'm going to uncover you and all your sinister motives. It's it's just perfect. I love yeah. it so much. Charles Durning is amusing, incredibly amusing, and Tam Robbins as the main character who's got an idea, you know, for kids, is just doofy <laughs> at times and it's wholly oblivious and even you know this this is a story like a couple of others about making it in the corporate world but also being somewhat corrupted by your own success too and really kind of moving away from who you are at your core and i just i love it i can't i this is maybe my favorite coen brothers movie hands down I think there's also the theme of a danger. You create one item and you think or stats show that it's one of the most successful items ever created and you kind of tap yourself out over there and not create more that there's more that you could give, you know? So I think it's a very interesting film. It's so charming. It taps on so many different emotions. And it's a Coen Brothers film. It's it's hilarious. It's the most kid-friendly one. Yeah, that's true. You know, I would say kid as in like 10 and up. Mm-hmm. Because it's it's still the Coen Brothers at heart. Sure, <laughs> so, sure, sure, sure. Creating Paul their Newman things. Yeah, um, there are a lot of quotable lines from this. We always talk about the double stitch, and yeah. it's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, it's just it's a lot of fun. Highly quotable. I always forget which direction this movie goes, and so it's always surprising when I rewatch it. Yeah, so that is the Hudsucker Proxy from 1994. It is our favorite entrepreneur movie. But what are your favorite entrepreneur movies? Feel free to email us at the Gibson Review with your picks. Uh, GibsonReview dot at gmail dot com. Eventually, I'll get that email address correct one of these days. And that'll about do it for this episode of the Movie Lovers. Shannon, before we talk about next episode, why don't you share with people where they can find you online? You can find me on Instagram at Shanna Paxton Photography with underscores between each word and on Flickchart at Spellbinding A, the letter A. We really need to have a night where we're like sitting down, watching something and updating our flick charts because it's been too long. It's very long. We really need to update I, that. I'm trying to find my password and I can't find it anywhere. Oh no. So that's an issue. I might just it's horrible to say it. It's excruciating to think it. I might just start all over again. For the third time. Know. No, oh, don't do it. Don't God, do it. No. Oh my gosh. I'll make a plan. <laughs> uh, you could go to the uh, gibsonreview.com to find pretty much everything that has been created over the past 10 plus years, including past episodes of the movie lovers from the past four years and reviews and features on there. Go follow social media, Facebook slash the Gibson review. 
on Instagram at the Gibson 99. I do uh, often backup polls there. I've been doing a series of sequels, sequel poll related polls. And lately, most recently, we did, let's see, I think I talked about all the way through the horror ones, the horror sequels last. But since then, we have had your favorite sci-fi and fantasy sequel. And that turned out to be Terminator 2 Judgment Day uh, beat by a wide margin. It was like a 30% margin, Empire Strikes Back, which is fascinating. And by the time you're listening to this, we may or may not be done with a bigger poll having to do with just sequels all across the board, taking some of your favorites from each of the different mini polls that we had, as well as Shannon and I's favorite uh, sequels and some other picks to make a big monster poll. And we'll probably have a break from there for a little while as far as bracket polls go. But that's at the Gibson 99 on Instagram and also the same handle on Flickchart for me. Uh, Next time on The Movie Lovers, we will be reviewing the much, 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 much anticipated, long, 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 long delayed, No Time to Die, the latest James Bond movie, a franchise that will probably never make Shanna's favorite franchise list, (laughs) a future list we will be doing. Ever. But hopefully she can find something to enjoy (laughs) in this one. We'll also, in film phase, we will be, and the research on this is is fascinating and extensive and fun, favorite opening title sequences that's a definitely a thing that the bond franchise is very well known for is one of many elements that define a james bond movie we'll be looking at other movies with our favorite opening title sequences so i'm really looking forward to that that's going to be a challenging one for sure you can expect to hear that episode on tuesday october 12th Until then, keep loving the movies. This is Jeff and Shanna saying bye-bye.